In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today in the scripture reading, we read the passage that comes immediately after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, where after Christ had fed such a multitude of people, they came looking for him and trying to follow him and figuring out where it is that he was. And when they found him, he rebuked them a little bit, and he told them, what is the reason that you are coming to seek after me? Are you coming to seek after me because that you are looking for salvation, that you want to hear my teaching, that you want to obey me, that you want to become my disciples? Or are you coming to follow me simply because I did this miracle for you and you are fed now and you want more miracles and more blessing for yourself? And he said to them in verse 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. So we can ask this question, do we really blame these people for what they did? If we had someone who was giving away all these free things, wouldn't we also want to follow them and to be near them so that we can receive free things from them? But he emphasized the idea that all of the effort that they were putting into laboring for the things which perish is like it's, it's vanity. There's, there's nothing good in it that all this effort that they're putting in trying to search for the, the food and all of this, he says, what? Do not labor for the food which perishes, right? Do not labor for this food. Do not go after this food. Instead, go after the food which endures to everlasting life. And one of the key words here that we want to read is the word labor, the word labor. He's not simply saying about desiring something but laboring for something. You know, you can say maybe we all desire spiritual food. Maybe we all desire a lot of things, you know, but who is it who's actually going to labor for these things? The labor is different than desire. I had heard a story about a teenage girl who was training to be an Olympic gymnast. And in order to be a gymnast, she had to train and practice every single day for years and years and years so that she could be at the level where she could compete in the Olympics. And every four years when the Olympics would come, she would have to be ready for it. And she would start training from four years before. So essentially, after the previous Olympics is done, she would train for four years to prepare for the next Olympics. And during these four years as a young girl, she had many opportunities to do a lot of things like with her friends and go on trips and, you know, spend time out doing things like all other teenagers or young people do. And yet she had to sacrifice all of these things in order so that she could spend her time training for the Olympics. And so this is an example of someone who is laboring for something, right? Maybe she could have desired to be an Olympic gymnast and she could have fantasized and dreamed about an, being an Olympic gymnast, but that wouldn't have actually made her to be a gymnast. The only way that she was able to do it is because she labored, is because she worked hard and because she sacrificed. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. All of us can be in this race and all of us can say, you know what, I really want to be in first place. I really want to do well. I really want to run quickly. But when the time comes for me to choose how I will use my time, how I will manage my time, how is it that I'm going to decide what I'm going to do? I say, you know what, I'm not really that energetic today. I'm not really going to do it today. I'm too lazy today. I want to do other things. And I'll just put off this idea of the training. And in this case, we're speaking about the spiritual training. So we're going to look at a little bit about this verse that about do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. God willing, this week we'll focus on the first part about what does it mean to labor 
for the food that perishes. And then next week, God willing, we will look at the next, the second part is what does it mean to labor for the food which endures to everlasting life? So first, how do we labor for the food that perishes? This is, again, what Christ rebuked the people for. And if we took a sincere look at ourselves, we'll find that we spend a, a whole lot of time in our life laboring for the food that perishes. And one thing I want to, one point I want to make at the outset, laboring for the food that perishes is not the same thing as saying, well, you know what, I have to work. You know, I, I have, there's things that I have to do. I have physical needs. I have needs of my family that I have to do. That doesn't, that's not working for the food that perishes in the sense that Christ is speaking about. Christ is speaking about the attachment to this food that perishes. Christ is speaking about that we are waiting, willing to put such a great amount of effort into gaining this food that perishes, and we put you know, essentially no effort at all into the spiritual food or the food that endures to everlasting life. So how do we labor for this food that perishes? The first is the labor for riches. Working is a noble thing, and working is a necessary thing. Right? But everything can be done in balance. In Proverbs 12:11, it says, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. Meaning someone who is working as a farmer who is tilling his land will be satisfied and content with the harvest that he is able to produce, with the food that he is able to, to produce from his work. Also in Proverbs 13:4, it says, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Which again means what? If we do nothing, if we do no work at all, right? If we just sit around not doing any work, then we will be poor and we will be hungry and that we will not be able to be fulfilled in our life because we are doing no work. So again, this is, this is not to say that we, we should not be laboring, right? Obviously, we should be laboring even for, for the worldly things that we need, right? But there is a labor that is necessary and there is a labor that is in excess, there's a labor that we can do while balancing other important things in our life. And there is a labor that is so excessive and beyond what it is that we can balance and becomes a, like something that consumes our life, that takes over our life, and that there is no space or room for anything else. What is the definition of being wealthy? Being wealthy is having a great deal of money, resources, or assets. Okay? And this desire for this wealth the desire for having a great deal of money, resources, or assets. This is, again, going beyond my needs, right? Having a desire for a great amount. This is not saying I have a desire for my needs to be met. It's saying I, this is a desire for a great amount. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, St. Paul warns about this desire for riches. And he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. So while being rich certainly is not a sin, and God has granted this blessing to many people, and yet this desire to be rich is the sin. This desire, this desire to have great money, great resources, great assets, this, this desire that keeps me from being content with what it is that God has given and always pushing me, to want to attain more and more and more and thinking that the more I attain that that will make me happy. But those who have tried this, someone like King Solomon for instance, who have tried to obtain more and more and more discovered that there was no satisfaction in his wealth. No matter how much he attained, he was never fulfilled or satisfied. And this desire for wealth can consume us, consume us at the expense of 
spending time with God, family, friends, our health, and in so many different ways, it can consume us so that we are not even, um, you know, we, we, we do not lead a balanced life at all. So this is the first way that when Christ said, do not labor for the food which perishes, this is the first way that many of us labor for this food that perishes and this money that we cannot uh, have forever. A few points, a few more points about, about the wealth. The first is, is that the wealth is temporary. Okay? In, in Matthew 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So one of the characteristics of this riches that make it so vain and makes it for this food that perishes is, is that it is temporary, meaning no, no matter how much money or I attain, no matter how rich I become, this is something that I will only have for a temporary amount of time. It is something that I cannot take with me. Also, wealth is deceptive, okay? Because the world looks at wealth as being perhaps the sole purpose of life. That the more wealth that I attain, the more power that I have, the more joy I will have, the more happy I will be. So it is deceptive because the world will praise those who are wealthy. The world will reward those who are wealthy. Money can buy us the things that we want, but also we, have, we gain status by being wealthy, right? And other people look at us and admire us maybe just for the wealth that we have. But again, this is very deceptive because it makes us to fall into the same trap as in the world where we are maybe orienting our lives and our, the way we use our time only for seeking after this food that perishes. In Luke 12, 15, it says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Right? This is a very important verse for us to remember. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Unfortunately, this is the way our world sees it. We, we define people according to their wealth in the world. And here the Lord makes it very clear to us that the things that we have is not what cons constitutes our life. That life is far greater and, and has many more aspects to it than simply how much money do we have. The last point about wealth is that the desire for wealth is never satisfied. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. Again, if my desire is always for more, then I can never attain it. Because every time I have something, I am not happy with it, and I want more. And then once I attain more, again, I'm not happy with it, and I want more. So the, the, the philosophy behind it, the mentality behind the love for riches is inherently dangerous. right? So again... There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. And Christ blesses us with wealth and blesses us with different things. But he asks us to be content with what it is that God has given and not always desiring for more because what? This is a, this is a snare. This is a snare to us, a trap that we, we think that this is going to bring joy and happiness in our life, but it does not. The second way that we labor for the food that perishes is the labor for pleasure. In James chapter 5, St. James is saying, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. And for some, this idea of, um, of even gaining wealth, like we were speaking about before, is a means of obtaining pleasure. In Ephesians 5, it says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So for some, the, the goal of life isn't necessarily wealth, but it might be 
to seek pleasure, to have pleasurable experiences in whatever means that might mean. Okay? And to some it might seem innocent enough because we're not doing any harm to others. This is really how the world defines right and wrong. In the world, anything that you do that doesn't physically harm another person or emotionally harm another person is considered good. Right? Anything that doesn't harm another person is considered good and is considered a discretionary choice on my behalf. I can do whatever I want. For instance, when people are speaking about whether uh, drugs should be legalized, Okay, well, what is the argument behind legalization of drugs? Well, the argument is, is you're not hurting anyone. As long as you are not harming anyone, then even if you are destroying your own body and even if you are becoming addicted to something, well, this is your personal choice. So why is it that we should prevent that from happening? Okay, again, this is the labor for pleasure. The people that are seeking that experience of being maybe high on drugs, right, or even high on alcohol, for instance, it's something that is a personal choice. As long as I don't harm anyone, well then what is the big deal behind it? But as Christians, what, why do we make this into a big deal? We make it into a big deal because number one, it's idolatry. Number two, we are destroying the bodies that God has given us. Number three, these things impair our judgment. And if we are seeking pleasure all the time, and this is the, the goal of our life, is to seek pleasure, is to seek comfort, then we are completely misguided from the kind of life that God is asking us to live so that we can experience Him. Right? Because this is a war between the flesh and the spirit. And the more that we seek the flesh, the more our spirit is diminished, the harder it is for us to see God, to experience God, and to even realize that God is around us and with us. Right? So if, 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 if what we are laboring for in this life is salvation, then, then seeking pleasure is the opposite of that. Seeking pleasure is something that is going to hinder my path of salvation. So again, there's not th it's not to say that pleasure in itself is wrong and there are things that are good that we do that are pleasurable that are in, that we enjoy but that doesn't mean that again that can be the goal of my life the third way that we labor for the food that perishes is the labor for beauty the labor for beauty is a multi-billion dollar industry the labor for beauty, we see it everywhere around us, where, where people are desiring to appear beautiful for the sake of their image, for the sake of what maybe other people say about them or even how they feel about themselves. But in Proverbs 31, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The idea of seeking beauty is seeking self-glorification, that I want to appear wonderful. I want to appear beautiful. I want other people to look at me and to say, wow, right? I want, this is self-glorification. This is even why, when people ask the question, why is it that women are asked to cover their hair in the church, okay? In 1 Corinthians 11, St. Paul explains this, and he says, because for a woman, the glory of her, that her, is her beauty, is in her hair, that makes her beautiful. And so in the church and in prayer, we are not seeking to glorify ourselves, but we are seeking to glorify God. So when a woman covers her head in, during prayer, it's an act of humility. right? It's an act of humility. It's saying, I am seeking to glorify God rather than to glorify myself. And actually, if we understand why is it that Satan himself fell in heaven? He fell because of this desire for his showing his own beauty. In Ezekiel 28, God is speaking to the devil and he says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. 
You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. That the devil felt himself to be so wonderful and so beautiful and so powerful that in every way that people would worship him and that he would actually take the place of God. Again, this is the, the laboring for the food that perishes. This is something that is temporary. And, and, and of this multi-billion dollar industry of beauty, how much money is spent by those who are beginning to lose their beauty because of the natural aging process to try to reinvigorate that again? And how many people do we see, even in a very old age, that are still doing all these plastic surgeries and all these things, trying to prevent the natural course of life from happening? Right? Again, it, the desire for beauty is very powerful. We, part, part of you know, accepting who we are and part of having humility in the sight of God is to accept that I am not going to stay in the form that God has given me forever, in my physical form, but that the true beauty is in the inner form. The true beauty is in the spirit because our spirits are far more beautiful than our bodies. Right? And if we know people with a good spirit, you see the, the kind of the inner beauty that comes from them far greater than the external beauty that fades away, far greater than the external beauty that maybe one day is there and the next day is gone. And certainly in heaven, when we go to heaven, right, we are, we're going to leave behind these physical forms that we have now and we're going to be given actually glorified bodies. God is going to give us even more beautiful and even more glorified bodies than the ones that we have now which are perishing. Right? So here we are asked what, don't seek after this beauty. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing by its very nature, by its very definition. And if we find ourselves trying to capture it, we find ourselves trying to keep it forever, we find ourselves trying to like hold on to something that is just going to fade away and we can never fight against this natural progression. Because we have to remember that our bodies are dying. Our bodies are, 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 are corrupted. Right? But in heaven, we will have no corruption. In heaven, everything, we will be fully alive and in, in far more glorious way than we are today. So again, don't, don't seek after this beauty. This is the third way that we labor for the food that perishes. The last way that we'll speak about today that we labor for the food that perishes is the labor for position and power. Even among the apostles, who were the disciples of Christ, we read that they were disputing amongst themselves. In Luke 22, it says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. If even among the apostles that they were bickering with each other and they were saying, which of us is the, which one of us is the greater? Which is the one of us has the greatest position? Right? This is again one of these um, desires that we as human beings seek. We seek position. We want to com we compare ourselves with each other. Who of us is better than the other? Who of us is more powerful? Who of us is more talented? Who of us is greater than the other? And again, this labor, when we labor for position, it's fleeting, it's passing. How many people who are placed in very high positions in their life and then, you know, years and years and years go by and people do not even remember who they are? You know, I was thinking that, you know, when you have people who are young, when they when they die and there's a lot of people around that know them like celebrities for instance that, that they pass away there's such a, a, a large outpouring of love and you know because this person is young and we know them but when people who are a hundred years old that maybe many of us who are alive today have never even heard of before or never seen before and then they die and even though that they were very very big celebrities in their day it's very obscure and maybe most people don't even realize that it's happened 
right? We are remembered by those who, 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 who know us today. But what about in 50 years? Who is going to remember us? Who is going to know us? What is the value of any position or power that I had? Right? God is asking us to be faithful, not to seek after any kind of a position. And if God puts us in a position, we accept this position with humility. We don't accept it because we want to be glorified and to seek any kind of power. Simon the sorcerer, in the book of Acts, we read about him, that he converted to Christianity at the preaching of St. Paul. But he was a sorcerer before, and he was doing magic, and he would gain a lot of uh, fame, and he would impress people with the magic that he was doing. And after he converted, and he's put away all of his sorcery, he still had this desire to attract people to himself because of any kind of power that he had. And so when he saw that St. Paul could lay hands and the apostles could lay hands on people and they would receive the Holy Spirit, it says, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So what was his desire? Was his desire really to follow the Lord or was his desire to simply have a different kind of a power? I'm going to put away maybe my sorcery and my magic books and all of this, but instead I see what? I see something powerful in these apostles that I also want to have. So people desire to be powerful. People desire to be powerful. This is another way that we labor for the food that perishes. Again, because power is temporary. So in all these ways that we speak about, Christ is asking us to what? Do not labor for the things that are temporary. Do not labor for the things that you cannot keep. Do not labor for the things that maybe God has given us for a time, and yet, by design in the world, those things cannot be kept for us. We need to understand that we are not the owners of anything. There is nothing that we have received that we have not been given. There is nothing that we own that has not been given to us. Even our own bodies, even our minds, everything about us, we received it from God. And, and just as He gave it to us for a time, there will be a time where we no longer have it. There will be time where it is now time for us to give it back to him because we are not the owners of our life but we are stewards we are stewards god gives us all these things and says i want you to take care of these things for me i want you to take care of these things i want you to manage them well i want you to manage your children i want you to manage your bodies i want you to manage your mind i want to manage this money that i'm giving you i want you to manage these things and a day will come when i will ask you how is it that you managed my things just like in the parable of the talents, when this master gives his servants different amounts of talents and he goes on a journey and then he comes back again and he says, tell me, how is it that you manage the talents that I gave you? And so we do not own any of the stuff that we think we own. We don't even own ourselves. All of this we receive from God. And so if we are laboring for this food that perishes, then essentially we are making no investment, no eternal investment in the things that God has given us. Because when he returns again, he's going to say, show me how is it that you use these things. And based on how we've used them, he's going to reward us. right? Because in the parable of the talents, he says, what those who had received five talents receive five more. Or those who had received a small amount of, uh, or had gained a small amount of interest, God said to them, okay, now you have authority over five cities. Right? The, with the way that we show responsibility with the things that God has given, he will reward us and give us much, much more than we had to begin with. So we should not 
think so much about the labor of this world. Like I said before, a lot of labor is necessary in this world in order for us to survive. But we can labor while being detached. We can labor while, while thinking, I'm doing this so that the, my needs are met. I'm not doing this because this is my goal. My goal is not to be wealthy. That is not my goal. I just need to have money to live. But my goal is not to be wealthy, right? My goal is to be with God. My goal is to serve Him. And my goal is to work for that day where I will be with Him forever, where there will be no money, where there will be nothing of the things that we are seeking after here in the world. And actually every good thing that, will, that there is in heaven will be given to us completely for free. Where there will be no labor there. For instance, in heaven, we will be given these glorified bodies of beauty, far more beautiful than anything that there is on earth, and we will be given these bodies for free. And these bodies will never decay. And these bodies, I never have to upkeep them. I never have to maintain them. God, God will just make them beautiful in their, in their essence. right? In, in heaven, there is no money because every one of our needs are met. And there is nothing else for me to labor for. In heaven, I'm experiencing the enjoyment of being with God for eternity without seeking anything, without doing anything. And it's completely righteous and moral pleasure that God is giving us. In heaven, we have been given ranks that are higher than the angels, even though we haven't done anything to deserve those things. So in everything that we inherently desire inside of us, God is willing to give it to, to us for free but he's going to give it to us in its due time. And he's asking us to be faithful with what it is that we have been given here. He's asked us to follow him, to obey his commandments, and to wait patiently for the day where he will give us a reward. And the reward that he gives will be far greater than anything that we attempt to attain on our own in this temporary world that we live. So in conclusion, we spoke about four ways that we labor for the food that perishes. The first is the labor for riches. The second is the labor for pleasure. The third is the labor for beauty. And the fourth is the labor for position and power. God willing, next week, we will focus on the second half of the verse, which is how is it that we labor for the food that endures, the everlasting food? What does it mean to, to labor for this food? And this is how we should be occupying our time. And glory be to God forever. Amen.